Really? Really, y'all? Really, really? Here we go. Hey, 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 hey. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. What a joy. What an honor it is to hang out with you on today. I am honored to be back. Thank you so much for all our leadership team and how they have led us through this season. It is a joy and it really, really is an honor. So I just want to tell you all, thank you for that. I want to start today by um, doing what I do in my home sometimes. Every now and again in my home, I have the tendency whenever a big move happens in our culture to, to gather everybody around and we have a conversation. So I want to have one of those with you today. The, the reason I do that is because um, we've got to make a shift in my family when we do, and I want to prepare them for what is about to happen, which means we've got to sit down, we've got to analyze the culture, we've got to analyze where family is, and then we have to analyze the habits that have brought us here, and then the adjustments that we need to make in light of that. So if you don't mind, what I want to do is I want to pray, and right after I pray, then I want to jump into our conversation today. All right, let's do that, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for this privilege and the opportunity to gather again. I thank you for every person, everyone, wherever they are right now. They're sitting on the couch. They're in the study. They're taking a walk. They're on their bike. They're in the bathroom. They are hanging out with the kids and the whole family is around watching this experience, wherever they are. Will you meet them right where they are, God? And then will you help each one of us make the shift that we all need to make if we're going to respond to the move that you're making? Prepare our hearts now for your word in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Thanks, everybody, again for being here. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, This week I watched a movie called The Emperor, The Emperor. Uh, It's about an African-American slave and his fight for his freedom. Pretty compelling case, pretty compelling movie. I would highly recommend it to you. I think it's a good one. Uh, The year in this movie, though, there there was a particular event that took place that was pretty incredible. And that because of this event, uh, a lot of things happened because of it. The year, October 16, 1859. One of the main characters, a guy called John Brown. The reason this guy is particularly important is because he wanted to do an uprising. And so he gathered 17 men and with a bold, courageous move, he decided that he would charge the Harper's Ferry, which is where, which really was an arsenal that held a lot of the military armor, and him and 70 men charged it, and having taken over a lot of it, him and 70 men, including five African Americans, uh, charged it, took over a part of it, and then fought against anyone that were slave owners at the time. What made this movie incredible, though, is that this one event, coupled with a number of others, 
started what we now call the Civil War. Because of it, it influenced the Civil War, and then ultimately influenced the legal abolishment of slavery. It's an incredible movie. We're going to come back to it at the end of our talk in a moment. But, ladies and gentlemen, because of that, everything changed. Because of this one act, a lot of decisions were made, and America is what it is today, partly because of that, that one act. Well, ladies and gentlemen, here in our country, in this season, in 2020, here's what's happened. The coronavirus has hit, and all of America changed. All of it did. Everything about it changed. It changed the way you parent. It changed the way you watch movies. It changed the way businesses work. It changed what your house is now used for. It changed how classrooms are used. It changed everything. What governments, what presidents, what the Senate does, everything has changed because of this one pandemic that has overcome us all. Well, the church is not excluded from that, and we, the church, has been radically changed, but a lot of people don't even realize it yet. You see, and if we fail to realize the change and the transition that has taken place, then we will miss out on the move that God is trying to make. And so today I want to highlight and remind you a little bit historically first, then I'm going to go into the theology, and then I'm going to go into how we're going to practice what we've learned from history and what God has to tell us and the move he's making in our culture today. But in order to do that, I need to remind you of where we're coming from as a church. Because the way we do church now um, is about to shift, and I need you to prepare for it as well as I. So let me remind you about how we do church now. Currently, everybody comes to a table. We call the table the church. And so every single weekend, people file into the church, and every person is categorized. There's three types of people in the church. First of all, obviously, there is the pastor. And the pastor gets up, and what the pastor does in chair number one is he's going to break open the bread of life. Uh, John chapter 6 tells us that the, the pastor, one of the jobs of the pastor, is that uh, he is to make sure that he's breaking down the bread of life and giving it to the people of God. This is hugely important because the pastor's job is to go in the study, analyze the culture, analyze the text, and then bring it together and show everybody what God has to say in this moment and in this season. For years, this is how it's been done. Everybody files in. You don't want to share your faith with somebody else? Well, just bring them to church and the pastor will do it for you. You don't want to, you get uncomfortable telling your little friends about a particular tough topic? Bring it to church and let the experts share with your people and your friends how and what um, the Bible says about that particular issue. That's how it's been done in the past. So chair number one is the man of God or the woman of God that's going to expound on the word of God. That's, that's, that's what normally happens, and that's what the pastor's job is. But he's not the only one in the room. The next one, as you come to the table, the next one is the non-Christian. The non-Christian says he is the person who is now coming to church 
They're wondering about their faith in Jesus Christ. They're trying to figure out whether or not they really believe this thing. They're trying to discern and ask questions about their faith. And any healthy church would have non-Christians, actually. A third of their body should be non-Christians who is seeking, who is trying to discover who is this Jesus Christ and what has he done and why should we consider him. Now, let me tell you something about these people. You know why they come to church oftentimes? Because they're hurting. You know why they come to church sometimes? Because their marriages are not working. Because their relationships are not working. Because financially they have lost their job. And there's a pain in their heart. And they now need to try to discern why is this pain there? And what is it that I'm longing for? And so a lot of non-Christians come to church. A lot of seekers come to church. A people who are still asking questions. They come and they come to the table. And the pastor's job is to pontificate and expound on the word of God to make Make sure that these people get saved. That's what used to happen in this thing called the church. And I'm calling the church this table where we all gather. But then there's a third group of people that come to church. And those are the people who are new in their faith. They're not a non-believer anymore. They have sought to... Um, put faith alone in Christ alone for the remission of their sins. And so this is the third group. This group of individuals, they don't know yet what it means to be fully mature. They've got to go through the process of learning, of growing, of going, becoming an adolescent in the faith, and then becoming a father or a mother in the faith. But they're not there yet, and their job is supposed to be, how do I bring all of life under the Lordship of Jesus Christ? That's their job. So if a healthy church back in the day would be a pastor coming to the table, non-Christian and then the third one would be the Christians, the Christians who have recently accepted Christ and then are now moving toward the fourth phase, which would be the mature believer. That is the believer that's serving, the believer that's uh, giving, the believer that is in community groups, and the believer that is moving into bringing all of life under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I promise you, this is so very important. This is what the church used to be. This is what the church currently is. And whenever you hear somebody says, I'm dying to go back to church, I'm, what they're saying is, I'm dying to come back to the table so I can meet my brothers and sisters, so that we can get together, so that we can bond like this. And that's what they're yearning for. But these are not the only people in the church. <laughs> There's some other people in the church. Um, uh, let, let, let me help you out. There's some other people in the church. Here, here's one. Come here with me. Here's one. Here's one. Here's one. There, there, there's, there's some people. Here we go. There's some people in the church that are not babies physically, but they are babies spiritually. No, there's some people in the church that they come to church, ah, but when they come, they start crying about stuff that they, the church should have done that they didn't do, and now they start whining and, and whining and whining and whining. And here is what has happened in the church in the past. Do not miss this. Here's what's happened in the church in the past. The pastor, chair number one, has then said, okay, let me, watch it now, leave the people in the church and let me simply come around and focus exclusively on the baby that's crying and leave the enemy to devour the rest of the church. And so people are whining about the paint on the wall, about how the seats are, about how we're not giving money to their 
preferred uh, group of people that should get money to. And what the pastor often does, this is church history, please listen to me. What the pastor have done is he has left, or she has left everything and focused on the crying baby. Oftentimes because the crying baby got so much money, they need it for the church to survive. The longer you do this, the more the enemy has a field day with the group of people that's still around the table. Family, I need you to listen to me. This is very important for the body of Christ because if we continue on this trajectory that we're on, then I believe we'll miss the move that God wants to make in this new season. We cannot afford any longer to have the crying baby drive us and move us away from what God has called us to minister to and to pastor. So ladies and gentlemen, you got the crying baby, but that's not all you got. That's not the main one you got either. You got the crying baby, I know. But then we also have, this is the popular one now. Then we also have some Christians who want to come to the table. Listen now. But all they want to do is be comfortable in church. That's all they care about. I want to be comfortable. And I want to make sure all my needs and my kids' needs are being met. And I want to sit and simply critique everything that's everything that's happening in church. While I sit back and while I am comfortable, I want all of y'all to be stressing out while I eat at the table, but I simply want to rock my way to understanding why y'all don't do it the way I want you to do it. And we have churches all over the world that are filled with people who simply come here to church and they log on to church and they are rocking themselves, critiquing everything. God has a word for them, but they don't care about God's word. They care about what they don't like and what they do like and why they don't want to do what I like more than what the other person beside me like. They don't care about being mature. They don't care about doing anything. Church is just a checked box to them. They live in the entertainment world and church is simply another form of entertainment. You wish I didn't come back, huh? Pastor, go back and break. Leave us alone. We were, we were encouraged with all the other guys. Now you're trying to make us do something. Ain't nobody want to do nothing. Uh-huh, I know. Come on. Come on. Come on back here. Now listen, family. Listen, listen. Here's what you need to know. This is very important because we have too many people like this in church. And they have, they have become hypocritical. So when you go to work and all you're doing is criticizing the church, then people at your office say, well, if you're supposed to be the one that show me the way, but all you're doing is criticizing the table, then why do I need the table myself? Ladies and gentlemen, this is normal for what, for where the church is today. And this is my concern. This is what hurts my heart. And if we go into the future after COVID and we still look at church the same way, then the culture is going to say, I want to have nothing to do with church. They're already saying it. My question is, do you even realize? that the church is losing its influence. And I'm talking to one community church right now, and if you visit in from another church, I'm talking to you, and I'm talking to your pastor as well, because I need you to know that if we don't make the shift, then the culture will write us off as irrelevant and a non-starter in their lives, which is why the shift must take place. 
We can't afford anybody anymore. Not if you say you go to one community church, sitting back in your rocking chair, criticizing everything they're doing at the table, telling the Christian that's growing up and mature that what's wrong with you? You just a legalist. You need to leave me alone. I can do what I want to do. I don't have to follow the Bible. Who cares about the Bible? My truth is my truth, and I'm going to do me. I'm going to come to church because I want to check the box, and I don't want God to uh, to zap me, or I don't want God to get me, but apart from that, I'm going to do me. So I'm going to do it the way I want to do it, and I don't care about the Bible. In other words, I want to keep striving. I don't want to surrender. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the plight of the church today, and I'm telling you, we can't do this anymore. Just like I would with my family. I'd say, here, here are two habits we have to change if we're going to adjust after the, after the crisis, the financial crisis. We sat down and we said, as a family, we said, here's some habits we have to change if we're going to make it for the next 40 years. And then we made those changes in the same way. You and I have to make a shift because if we don't, we're not going to be able to thrive in this post-COVID era. So, that's what it used to be. Now, Pastor, why are you talking about this? Where's the biblical foundation of this? You gave me the history of what the church looks like now, but where's the biblical foundation of this? Come on with me. Let's go to Matthew chapter 9. Let's see if we can figure this out real quick. Matthew chapter 9 is where we're going to hang out. Let's go to verse 17 and see what he says. Then I'll go to our notes here in a minute. Listen, family, this is very important. Listen, listen, listen. Here we go. Verse number 17. Here's what the text says. And no one puts new wine into old wineskin. Otherwise, the skin bursts, the wine spills out, and the skins are ruined. No, they put new wine into fresh wineskin, and both are preserved. God has some new wine he's trying to pour into our culture. But if the church of Jesus Christ does not make the adjustment, then ladies and gentlemen, the wineskin and the wine is going to be ruined. Pastor, I don't get it. What are you talking about, Pastor? I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. What are you talking about? I can't figure it out yet, Pastor. Show it to me. Let it make it plain to me, Pastor. I can't get it yet. You know it in basketball. Uh, the rest of the world plays a sport, all of the European countries and the Caribbean countries play a sport called netball. And in netball, once you get the ball, you can't move. <clears throat> once they throw it to you and you get it, you can't move. You can, you can land on your foot that stays anchored to the ground. But then if you're going to, if you're going to pass the ball, and this is netball, then if you're going to pass the ball, then you got to use your pivot foot to get to where you're going to pass the ball. In basketball, the same thing occurs. Once you land and you pick the ball up in both hands and you land on one foot, you can't pick this foot up again or else it's a foul. You're out. You've got to travel. And so you got to give the ball over. What the church must realize is what God's calling us to do is to stay grounded on the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the message. But the method we must pivot. 
<clears throat> based on the culture, and we must make sure that where we are and how we're currently living, that we are adjusting to the culture so that we can be effective in that culture. Ladies and gentlemen, this is so huge. I cannot, I cannot underscore this enough, that you and I must realize that we live in a culture that is shifting. Back in the day, let's say 30 years ago, when you say the Bible, everybody thought, yeah, that is the objective standard of truth. When you say that today, people laugh at you and they say, that's not my truth. My truth is inside of me. Ladies and gentlemen, the culture is shifting. Let me tell you why we must make this adjustment. We must make this adjustment because there is a cultural disappearance of guilt. Nobody's coming to church anymore. There's no guilty feeling when you don't come to church anymore. Back in the day, the culture used to demand that you go to church. Today, the culture is not demanding that you go to church. The culture is saying, go if you like. If you feel like it, you need to go. That's one way that we have to make a shift. Therefore, you can't expect the non-believer to want to run into church anymore because there is no sense of guilt. Number two, second thought that you need to remember is that there's a decline in trust in institutions. So now the institution, people don't trust institutions anymore because they think they're hypocritical, they're just in for themselves, and so they don't trust them. Well, if they don't trust them, then they're not coming here anymore, so it won't be a natural thing for people to come to church. Number three, people don't believe in the authority of the Bible anymore. They think they don't care what you believe. Number four, there's a decline in trust in any form of authority. Anybody that wants to be over somebody, there's a declining trust in that. So what do you think church stands for? Some form of authority. What do you think the pastor stands for? Some form of authority. I'm setting you up, by the way, because there has to be a shift that you're willing to make. So I'm setting you up. I'm admitting it. I'm setting you up. But the culture is all changing. Let me give you two more. People don't want to, don't want to be talked to anymore. They want to, they want somebody to hear them. They don't just want to be told what to do. They want to have a discussion. They want to have a say in it. Here's another one. Um, um, the idea of personalized spirituality. Well, I want to, I want to discover God for myself. All of this is true in the culture that we're serving. And so churches that believe you got to always come here and this is the only way, then here's what's going to happen. You're going to stay with your foot planted on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and you're going to have this foot planted in the 60s and the 70s and then nobody's going to come to your church. There are a lot of them. You drive around and you'll see a lot of those churches that have no impact because nobody is going there unless they're over 75. And we can't make that mistake. What we have to do is stay grounded in the resurrection. And then as the culture shifts, we change the methods and we change the model. So in your small group, you've got to change the methods and you've got to change the model. In your ministry serving areas, you've got to change the methods and you've got to change the model. But the message never changes. It can't change. It's the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. But the methods must change. And so I'm going to show you what that means in a minute. But let me do a little more work exegetically now. Come on with me so I can show you why this becomes so very important. Let's take a look at it. So here's what the text says. The text says that um, you can't pour new wine into old wineskin. 
What's that mean? What's that mean? What's it mean? Well, um, you know the process of uh, fermentation. Once you get the, the wine into the wine skin, then it ferments. When it ferments, it expands. Once it expands, then um, it can't expand anymore because the, the, the wine skin has reached its full capacity. Here's the problem. So when you get new wine and you pour the new wine into the old wine skin because fermentation has already taken place, because it has already expanded, then it has nowhere to go. So guess what's going to happen? It's going to burst. And then you're going to lose the new wine as well as the old wine skin. What God is saying is I want to do a new thing. And I want one community church and churches all across the world to make the adjustment. By the way, the adjustment he's asking us to make was what they did in the first century. And so he's asking us, I believe one of the reasons why we've been allowed to go through corona is so that we can release and unleash the army of God on communities everywhere so that people no longer have to just come to church, but the mature ones come to church and then we train them, we, we give them digital resources, we equip them, we edify them, we inspire them, we encourage them, and then we release them back to their communities so that your house now can be a lighthouse of God's grace in your community so that you can reach people that will never come to church. You can reach people through conversations now that want to have nothing to do with church until they know your heart and until they know your consistency first. That's where we're going as a body of believers and that's where we're going as a church. But the text suggests, the text suggests that um, there's some things that we need to get away with. There's some old wineskins that we need to do away with. There's some old wineskins that have no more business in the church. And if you're going to move toward maturity, then you've got to realize you've got to get rid of some of these wineskins. Let me give you three. And then I'll move on. Three wineskins that you must get rid of, that I must get rid of, if we're going to move into a position so that God can bless us uniquely. Number one, it's called the law. If, you, if you're looking at your notes, it's called, it's called, number one, we were on the law, and now we're under grace. Number two, we were, we were focused on the building, now we're focused on people. Number three, we were focused on loving the ones you like, now we're focused on loving your enemies. Let's talk about all three real quick and then we'll move on. So number one is loving on the law, on the, on the grace. On the law says, if you do good, you'll get good. Uh, I'll say that again. If you, if you do good, then you're going to get good. It's an automatic, it's an expectation that if you do good, you get good. A lot of people believe that today and a lot of them go to churches. And when Christ comes back, they're not going to go to heaven because they thought they could save themselves. Listen, family, this is a big one. By the way, in the way you coach your kids, in the way you lead your families, most, most people lead under the law and not under grace. They lead. Do good and you get good, which leads to exclusivity, which leads to arrogance, which leads to, well, I did it, so why can't you? You see what happens there? If you do good, you get good. That's the challenge because that's law-based system. God's saying, that's not what I want to do. That's not why I came. I did all the good, Jesus says. I did all the good by going to the cross, dying, getting up on that third day. And now you, because of your heart that was not for me, God says, now I, you did bad and I did all the good. In other words, you know what mercy is? Mercy is you deserve death, but I'm going to give you grace. 
You know what grace is? Grace is you don't deserve nothing. I'm just going to give you unmerited favor that you didn't deserve, that nobody was thinking about you, but I'm just going to bless the socks off of you. That's what grace and mercy is. God says, if you're a believer, if you're a maturing believer, then I want you to get rid of this idea of do good, get good philosophy of life. I don't want you to embrace, hey man, I am bad, and I know this is hard for some of you, because my heart it does not yearn for God unless it's driven by the Spirit of the living God. And so we got to move out of this concept of we're on the law. Uh, if you do these 10, then you will get a blessing. Two, hey God, I'm just grateful for the fact that you allow me one more day to serve you. It's the, it's the I'm bad and God is good. God's given me all good even though I'm bad. You know how I know, Pastor, how you know you're all bad? Because you were bad in your thoughts today. I was too. Because you were bad in not loving the person you were supposed to love. Because we all are. Because every single day we fall short of the glory of God. So we're always in need of his mercy. And we're always in need of his grace. Which is why he must give us more and more and more good. Even though we're bad. And by bad I don't mean you don't follow the law. I mean you're not perfect because only Christ is. Which is why we need the mercy and the grace of God. That's number one. Number two says, here's what it says. It says, um, people say this to me all the time. They say, uh, uh, when are we going back to church? When are we going back to church? When the church going to open? When the church going to open? Listen, let's give me a clue here. When was the church ever a building? I, I thought the church was people. And the last time I checked, people never closed and people never open. So if you're the church and I'm the church, then why do we need a building to make the church? Do you see what I'm saying? I get it. The reason we need a building so we can come and get inspired and then we can, here we go. Everybody likes the first part. Come, get inspired, see each other, fellowship together, love each other. That's all right. And that's why you can use a building to accomplish the work of the church. But don't ever get it twisted like the church is the building. No, no. The church is the people. And we must never forget that. That's why we have to make sure when we release you to go in your community so that you can reach people, we will never meet. But what the church has done throughout the centuries is they have, they have, they have given the responsibility of reaching the world to the professionals, to the pastors, to the ones that are paid. And they have left their responsibility of caring for their community up to the professionals. And this series is going to drive you back into realizing that's not our job. Our job is to equip the saints so that they can do the work of the ministry. That's our job. So you, you can't, you got to make a shift. You got to make a shift. I'm going to ask at the end of this service, you've got to make the shift. And you're going to see why in a minute. Here we go. Let's keep going. The third one says, love the ones that are like you. Listen, this is so important. And you're going to see it like you've never seen it before in the upcoming elections. Most people can only talk to and can only tolerate people who think like them, people who vote like them, people who look like them, people who have the, the, the socioeconomic background like them. But, but, but for you to be around the table with somebody that don't look like you, it's too uncomfortable. I don't want to do that. That's because you love the rocking chair too much. People who don't vote like you, people who, who want to vote and want to have an argument on the other side, even if you think the argument is wrong. By the way, that's because you care more about the rocking chair than you do the person who might go to a Christless eternity. Ladies and gentlemen, please listen. God didn't call us just to love people that look like us and that vote like us because you don't need Jesus to do that. Any pagan can do it. What you need Jesus for is to love the person who hates you 
It's to love the person who did you wrong. That's what you need Jesus for. And I love it because in Matthew chapter 5, he tells us, listen, listen, listen. He don't just tell you to love your neighbor, and he doesn't just tell you to love your enemies. He tells you how. He gives you three ways. He says, I want you to love them. Listen, listen. I want you to love them by blessing them. I want you to love them by praying for them. And I want you to love them by doing wonderful things for them. Do you see all three? If he had just told us to love, then we could have stayed in our rocking chairs and we could have said, well, I tried God, but it's not possible. I know it's impossible. That's why you need Jesus. That's why Jesus is the one that will empower you to do what he's called you to do. And so what he's saying to you and me today is, hey man, when they don't vote like you, you still have a job because eternity still hangs in the balance. So you still need to bring them around your table so you can have a conversation, even though you don't know why they vote the way they vote. Whether you're Republican or whether you're Democrat, God's not calling you to love only Democrats or to love only Republicans. He's asking you to love your enemies, your perceived. And by the way, the only reason they're your enemy is because of what you have perceived that they did wrong. That's the only reason they're your enemy. And God says, listen, I want you to love them nonetheless. You know why? Because that's what he did. Do you remember? Do you remember? Um, um, it's in the garden at Gethsemane, and and the guys are coming, and they're coming, and they say, "Yeah, Jesus, we're gonna lock you up, and we're gonna throw you in jail, and we're gonna we're gonna take you to the cross." You remember that? And you remember one of the soldiers came, and then he says, he says, um, "Yeah, we're gonna do that." Peter Peter came and he cuts the dude's ear off. Remember that? What's he doing? He's loving those who are like him, but if you come in as an enemy, I'm not gonna do it. Now the miracle of the story. Is that Jesus picked the ear up and put it right back on. This is the miracle, for real. This is funny. And put it right back on the dude's ear, and a miracle just happened. And the dude says, all right, turn around now, Jesus. Let me lock you up. Joker, if I was that fool, I'd be like, listen, I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm running away from this dude right here. If he can pick my ear up, put it on, and I can still hear out of it after they cut it off, I'm done. But listen, here's what he did. It's a beautiful story of what he did. He said, no, 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 no. That's for the rest of the world. What I want you to do is I want you to love your enemies. It's the only reason, it's the, one of the reasons why he died for you. You weren't a friend of God. You were an enemy of God. I was an enemy of God. And he still loved you enough to hang on a cross for you. So how dare you come up with an excuse? I just can't stand them. How dare you come up with an excuse? I just want to have nothing to do with them. You don't get that privilege just like I don't. Three Three, um, and wineskins, old wineskins that we need to throw away. So now, here we go. Uh, number one then is we want to move from striving to surrender. We want to move from programming, that's the church, it's a building, to the practices of the church. And then we want to move from loving those who, who are endeared to us to loving <clears throat> those and having empathy toward our enemies. Now, the result of intimacy is always reproduction. Think about that for a moment. Whenever there's intimacy, there's always reproduction. See, that's why a mature believer can say, I, am, I have an intimate relationship with God, but they're not reproducing people that look like God. You can't say that. You, if, if, you, if you're that close to God, then you're going to have the heartbeat of God. And if you have the heartbeat of God, then you're going to be reproducing people that look just like Christ. But God wants to make a move, family. I'm watching now. As he makes this move in our culture, we must pivot and we must adjust to what the culture is doing so that we can make the adjustment to still win people to Christ and grow people up in Christ. I want to show you what God has done through our church, through the history of our church. And then I'm going to come back and show you what shift every person 
listening to me now must make. Take a look at this video. Take a look. Our story starts with a step. One step of faith in a different direction. Twelve years ago, Dr. Conway and Jada Edwards leaped into a new season and a new ministry. In 2008, the journey began from home church to welcoming members at a hotel to Sunday service in a room that sits 200 to a sanctuary that sits 1600 to four campuses in Plano, Dallas, Louisville, and Prosper that hold 10,000 to our digital platforms that have a combined audience of 90,000 people to now in 2020. In the midst of a global shutdown, God is still showing us the purpose behind each pivot. It's a point where old rhythms can no longer maintain new methods to God's message. As we pivot again, these next few steps may be a little shaky, but that's the purpose of faith. Now it's time to walk it like you talk it. It's not a moment. It's a movement. Okay, fam. So now the scene has changed. Because if we're going to be effective, then we've got to pivot. And we've got to realize that everything about this thing called a local church has changed. God's want to make a move. Here's the move he wants to make. He wants to unleash all of you to be who he originally called you to be, which is every house listening to me now needs to be a lighthouse, a beacon of joy that every person in your community can see and know. You ought to be the person that takes on the new wineskin of loving your neighbors and loving your enemies, no matter who they are, no matter how they look, no matter what they believe, you get the privilege of doing that. And as we move forward into this new season as a church, I am pleading with you that you've got to make the shift. In a moment, I'm going to ask you, will you make the shift? But what's that shift look like? Here it is, ladies and gentlemen. Everything has changed. Everything. So remember those four chairs around? Remember those four? I want to show you biblically first why this must be the move that our church makes. Here we go. Everybody ready? Uh, Matthew chapter 9, and let's pick it up. At roundabout verse number nine. Here's what he says. He says this. As Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the toll booth. I can't, ooh, that's, a, that's, that's so much packed in there. The whole idea of sitting at a toll booth as a tax collector, there's a lot impacting right there. But I'm not going to stay there today because of our time. And he said to him, follow me. And Matthew got up and he followed him. Well, listen, here we go. While he was reclining at the table in the, there's the word, in the house. I want you to watch who was with Jesus. Here we go. Many tax collectors and sinners were there. And they came to eat with Jesus. Here we go. And his disciples. I want you to watch the new four chairs that Jesus modeled for us. And I want to show you how we're going to pivot as a church as we move in to this next season in our church's history. I want you to watch it. Here we go. So here's who was with Jesus. You had non-Christians. You had sinners. You had people who didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. You had the discipler that was Jesus himself discipling uh, 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 Matthew, which is over here. You had Matthew 
who was the new believer, and then you had Jesus' disciples with him. But watch what you have, y'all. What you have now is you've got Jesus discipling people, then you've got sin. Do you see? Do you see the difference? Do you see? Now it's not coming to church anymore. It's the church being being released, the beauty, the lady of Jesus Christ being released to pull this off in your house, in your setting. And what we're asking God to do is to give us 1,000 fully devoted people that will say, Pastor, I am willing to make the shift. I'm saying, God, I want to follow the principles and the precepts of Jesus Christ. And I don't want to simply be an, a church that grows old with 70 and 80 and 90 year olds only there, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with our 70, with our seasoned saints. There's nothing wrong with them. But I'm suggesting that God's called those saints to pour back into the lives of people who are far from God, of younger saints who need to be discipled so they know the word of God and they know the teachings of God. This is vitally important if we're going to make the shift. Because you see, if we don't, family, listen, don't miss this. If we don't, then we're going to be like some organizations that you know. See, back in the day, um, some guys at Netflix came over and they said, hey, Blockbuster, you should, you, should, you should incorporate this part into your overall strategy. But Blockbuster had all the buildings and they had all the money in the world and they thought we were the future. You can't find a Blockbuster anywhere today. And Netflix you can find in every household all over America. You see what I'm saying? They didn't want to make the shift. And now they're obsolete. Mm. Ladies and gentlemen, see, um, 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 Uber, you remember Uber? Taxi cab said, hey, man, we own the market. We own the market. And one day, two guys coming from a bar said, we want to find a taxi. We want, let's call them. They couldn't find any taxi. And then they had one idea. Here it is. Why, does, why do we not create an environment where every person, can be a taxi cab. You know why you hardly see taxi cabs anymore? But what you see a whole lot of is Uber drivers because they didn't want to make the shift. Parents, 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 parents. You've seen this one. Um, 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 Airbnb, you want to go somewhere? You want to travel somewhere to a hotel? Airbnb today makes more money than the top four chains. You know why? Because they made the shift when the hotels didn't. Ladies and gentlemen, my question for you is this. Are you willing to make the shift? Parents, parents, you know this already. You know it already. You thought it was your job to make sure that you're parenting your kids. You thought it was your job to make sure these, these teachers are parenting and are teaching your kids. And you know what has to happen since COVID? You've become a mighty good teacher. You've, you were forced to make the adjustments. Ladies and gentlemen, here's what we're inviting you to do. Because... Everything rides on it. We're training people to be disciplers. And we're going to present some of the best online content you have ever seen. You wait till you see the fall lineup. We're releasing it September 1st. We've got, we've got a curriculum for parents, for couples, for, uh, for singles, for young adults. You, you wait until you see the 12 shows that we're going to produce in each of these eight sections that we have. They're going to be incredible. We're going to continue to teach the whole council of the word of God. We're going to continue to come together and inspire you 
but we're inspiring you to go back out so you can be who God's originally called you to be, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And your assignment is going to be, here's what he says, go make disciples, not the church to make disciples, but you, the individual, go do what I did with my 12. You go do that now. And in your living room, you should have, you should be the discipler. But pastor, I've never been disciple. No problem. Then you figure, then you fill out. I want to be a disciple so that I can learn to be disciple. And then you will remove all your excuses. So some of you might want to be a disciple. Some of you might want to be a discipler. But wherever you are, this church has to have, if we're going to be healthy, I don't care how many people watch us. I don't care how many people come to church. What I care about is, can this church have 1,000 people who are willing to say, I want to be disciple or I want to be a discipler. We're going to put it in our small groups. We're going to put it in our ministry groups. Nobody can be on this staff unless they're discipling somebody now. Why? Because it's the entire ballgame. Because what people want now more than ever before is they want to make sure they can influence people relationally before you tell them anything theologically. They don't want to hear what you have to say about God until they see and examine your life and make sure that you are who you say that you are. So the stakes are high. And that's why you must make this adjustment and make this shift. Lastly, and then I'm done. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Ladies and gentlemen, in the movie that I told you about, (laughs) you need to go see it sometime. You need to go see it. The reason why this uh, slave did everything he did, the reason why he did is because one day he came home and he walked in the room after a hard day's work and he saw on the bed, he walked up to his wife, and his wife was crying. And he said, what's, what's wrong, babe? What's wrong, babe? What's wrong? And, and she said, she couldn't even open her mouth. She just looked to the side, and it was his son. And he was lying on the bed. And in the, on the back of this son, in the movie Emperor, on the back, was the marks of the whippings he had gotten. And here's go this little young chap whose skin has been ripped open. Not because he did something wrong, but because he was reading. And he got his skin ripped open, flesh gone. And he said, I've got to fight for my family's freedom. And so he left that moment, went out and started running for his freedom. Ladies and gentlemen, I know another son whose flesh was ripped out so that you could have the life that you get to enjoy today. And the question really is, here it is, are you willing to follow in his footsteps as he disciples others? Or are you willing to say, I don't care that you, I don't care that this happened to you. I want to still live my, my, my life that I get to live. Or will you find the real freedom that you get to enjoy? But all the way, as this, as this slave was on the run and he was going from state to state trying to get up north, every now and again, he would take something out like this. And it was a, 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 a trinket uh, to remind him of why he was running and fighting for the freedom he was fighting for. And mine is a little cross. And on the way, about five times in the movie, when, when things look really bad and, and he was frustrated with life and he wanted to give up, he had the reminder that reminded him of why he was fighting and 
why he was running. Every time we have communion, it's a reminder to you of why you must do what God has called you and me to do. And will you? So, in the chat right now, you can see there's a banner right on the, right on the where the picture is. And it will say, will you make the shift? And the shift is, we're moving from the table being the central place of influence to the living room. Your living room being the central place of influence. Are you willing to make that commitment? Because they said, listen, listen, if we don't do this, then don't be surprised that any church that doesn't make the shift, that in five to ten years, the next decade, they're completely obsolete. Because nobody, nobody will go there because they're not coming anymore. You have to influence them one at a time. You notice what Jesus did? He went and said, hey, Matthew, will you come hang out with me? Can I come to your house and eat? It's your turn. But are you willing to simply say, hey, can we have a conversation? And it starts next week with the unity table. Are you just going to reach out to somebody who don't look like you? And say, hey, can we, can we have a, a Zoom call just to get to know you a little more? Are you willing to do that? Because if we're not, the stakes are too high. I love flying into DFW at night. Every time I fly into DFW at night, it's beautiful because you start seeing these little lights as you get closer and closer to the city. It's pitch darkness, but you'll see a little light shining. And it's like this one little house. And you'll be like, whoa, at least that house they're on and they're doing their thing. And then all around it is pitch darkness. All around it. You know what your house is going to be for the kingdom of God? That one little light in the midst of darkness. And when people are hurting and when people need prayer and when people's marriages fall out and, and they can't take the single life anymore, they should be able to say, I know I can go to that house because when I get there, they will love me. Whether or not I believe what they believe, they will support me and they will walk with me. Will you join? I'm asking God for a thousand of you, 1,000 people that go to this church to say, I'm willing be a disciple maker or I'm willing for somebody to disciple me so I can fulfill the great commandment that he's called us to. Let me pray for us. Father, will you help us as a family, as a church family, make this shift? We've made a lot of shifts along the way, but will you help us to make this one? Because as we make it, we'll gain influence because we're not asking them to come to church with us. What we are asking them to do is to simply enter into a friendship and a relationship over time with us. Will you help us to do that? Will you make not just one community make this shift? Will you make churches all across the world make this shift and pivot? Because nothing will be the same coming out of COVID. Help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Thanks, family, for being here. Now let me send it over to the app time. I want you to do the app with them this time because I want you to make the shift. So go fill it out right now, Pastor. I'm making the shift. I'm making the shift. No more church as usual. We're not coming out of this the same way we went into it. I'm making the shift. Will you go do that with me? Come on, app time. Take it away.